Goss if you don't know who I am. I'm Goss if you, don't, if I, if you do know who I am. Um, we're in Crafted, a series in Ephesians in the Bible. Uh, uniquely made with God for purpose is the kind of headline of the book. We've been having some great times in the book as we've gone along. Uh, I'll be speaking from Ephesians 6, 1 to 4 this morning. If you want to get your Bibles ready, if you've got them, don't worry if you haven't because it will come up on the screen in a moment. Uh, as you know, I like wasting time in my preach telling you stories that have no relevance to what I'm about to say, but I just like doing it. And uh, yesterday I was uh, getting some food uh, at my local Tesco Express before heading off to a wedding. And uh, I was in a bit of a rush, but, you know, in my usual friendly self, trying to be nice to people along the way. And as I went to buy my shopping from the Tesco Express checkout, the guy behind the checkout said, uh, said to me, oh, I recognize your face, sir. And I said, uh, oh, do you? He said, yeah, yeah, weren't you in here last Saturday morning, all sort of suited and booted and looking really handsome, buying some stuff last Saturday? And I was, because I was at another event last Saturday morning. And I said, well done for recognizing me. I said, I can, all do, I can do all sorts of different types of looks. Yeah, I can do smart, I can do casual. I can... So we got into a little bit of friendship. We ended up the conversation. It's the first time I've ever shaken hands with a checkout cashier as a result of a conversation. So that was something that was nice as I walked away, thinking, I'm a friendly man, aren't I? Uh, <laughs> I had to go back about an hour later because, uh, because we were going to this wedding. Izzy wanted some plasters. So I went back and he was there again. He's all, you're back again, sir. And I said, yeah, I need to get some plasters for my daughter, a little chit-chat, whatever. And as I left, he again put his hand out to me, shook my hand, and he said, wicked! <laughs> as I walked out the door. So there you go. That's got nothing to do with anything, apart from the fact that I am quite friendly sometimes outside of church context. Although you'll see right later on in this passage that perhaps I'm not as friendly as I could be all the time. Uh. Interesting. We are, we're uh, in a little mini-series within the Ephesians um, series of Crafted, looking at what it means to honour Christ, honour Christ. And we've been looking over the last few weeks at what it means to honour Christ in singleness, honour Christ in marriage, and honour Christ in work. And whether we are single or not single, whether we're married or not married, whether we're in work or not in work, we've been encouraging each other week on week on week not to disengage from the message because A, we're a family of people anyway, and B, it's God's word, and C, it's good to sort of encourage each other with what, in whatever context we're in, to honour Christ in whatever context we are in. Uh, and this morning, we are going to be looking at honouring Christ in family. Honouring Christ in family. It's about children, and it's about parents. And this comes within the whole context, backdrop of the little sort of mini-series that we're in from Ephesians 5, verse 21, which says, Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. I don't want any of us this morning disconnecting from this message, please, just because uh, we might not be parents. Uh, the good news is, and this is true, that we are all, quote-unquote, children. We are all here today and have parents, unless you are somebody miraculous that I've never met in my life before. Uh, and so we're all children. We have a part to play in, in terms of what it means to honour and obey our, our own parents. We may have children, and therefore you may be particularly interested to what I'm going to have to say about how to uh, disciple your children through these scriptures. And let us not forget, we are all children of God. Uh, 1 John 3 verse 1, one of my favourite verses in the Bible, how great is the love the Lord has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That is a good verse. It's a true verse, and when we pray to our Father in heaven, how does he teach us to pray? He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God is our Father, we are his children, and even though these, this teaching today is, is around some specific practical stuff, around honouring and obeying parents, uh, there's a sense that underlying it all, God wants to say, remember that we're God's children. And so some of the practical stuff we work out in our own lives, we can apply to our relationship 
with him. So that's uh, a little bit of backdrop. Uh, finally and completely before reading the actual Bible passage itself, just some context. Uh, I think in our culture today, the, the, the role of parents can be underplayed a little bit. Sometimes people in our culture particularly will downplay the fact that parents, just by the fact they've been around a little bit longer, do have some wisdom, do have some experience, do have some advice, some insight, all that kind of thing. We live more in a culture of individualism where anybody's opinion about anything is equally valued, however experienced they are or not. And so in our culture, in the 21st century UK culture, I think the role of parents and children is a little bit muddled. In other cultures, Asian and African in particular, the role of the parents and elders in, in general is way more revered. There's way more reverence for the elder generation or the, par- the parents' generation. But now it's less so. So we just need to be aware of that. As, as we teach this word, as Christian followers of Jesus, if we are, we might think, oh, I don't know what I think about that. But generally out there, there's a little bit more scepticism about the role of parents and children in our context. So it's just worth saying that thing. Anyway, let's, uh, let's read the Bible. Ephesians 6, verse 1 to 4. Uh, and then we'll get into it. Uh, so it says this is Paul writing God's words. It says, children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Just going to unpack these few brief verses together this morning under two simple headings. The first is teaching. And the second is training, teaching and training. And the teaching bit is really around trying to unpack what these verses are trying to say uh, above face level. Because in essence, you can read some verses in the Bible and just they are what they are. They say what they say. You don't need to unravel them an awful lot more. So you read those verses, you just think, all right, I'll just do that. And that's cool. And God's happy with that. So I just want to dive in a little bit underneath with some teaching around the passages. When we get to the training bit, if you can hang in there with me, we'll get a little bit more illustration and personal testimony but the first bit is going to be mostly just giving you some backdrop to uh, how Paul was writing here and what he was really trying to say with the verses that he wrote down so three subheadings in the teaching section Uh, the first is who's listening the second is what's right and the third is which commandment are we talking about here who's listening what's right and which commandment so let's kick off with who's listening just to uh, reiterate verse one it says this children Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Who is this verse addressed to? Children. Paul was writing to children, and he was writing knowing that this letter of his was most likely going to be read out in a context where there were children present. It doesn't define the age of the children, but he's writing knowing that there were going to be people who would be known as children, seen as children, identified as children, who were able not just to hear it, but to understand it and to apply it. And he was comfortable with that. And the reason he was comfortable with it is because God is comfortable imparting truth to children. They are totally able to receive truth. They're able to understand truth and they're able to apply truth. I got saved when I was a child, 11 years old, and it's completely defined my life. Some of you here today might have that story in your life as well. But God's okay with speaking truth to children. Now, in Oasis Church right now, in this meeting, apart from the fact that I've identified us all as children of God and children of our own parents, we don't really have, I'm looking around, any quote-unquote children. There's one baby at the back there, but there's no children in the room. So there's a danger that the teaching that is primarily due for children is kind of going to just be received by us, and then what do we do? So you could argue, what's the point of doing this particular 
part of the teaching? Well, I would say two things. The first is it is relevant because we are all parents and we have a responsibility as parents to impart truth to our children in a way that's accessible. In fact, it's a parental role to do that more than a church or Sunday school or kids club role to do that. So that's that for the first thing to say. And the second thing to say is that the OKC, Oasis Kids Club, exists where all our children are right now in order for them to really engage with truth and God and the Holy Spirit in the way that's best possible for them right now. They love OKC. So it's not like we're doing anything wrong, but it's just the case that they're not in this room here this morning. I thought it would be fair of me just to make that point clear. So thank you for listening. So that's the first one. Who's listening? Second, what's right? That verse says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Obey your parents in the Lord. So we've got this obedience thing that we're looking at this morning. And Paul goes on to say that this is right. This is right. So what is he talking about when he says this is right? And there are three subheadings on this one. He's talking about what's right naturally. He's talking about what's right spiritually. And he's talking about what's right responsibly. So there's natural, spiritual and responsible rightness about obeying your parents in the Lord. What does a natural thing mean? The natural thing means that God has just created the world to make it the case that he wants children to obey their parents. That's how he's created it to be. There's a natural authority that parents have over their children, and there should be a natural willingness for children to tuck in with the authority of their parents and learn to obey their parents. So this verse that Paul writes here on God's behalf to children to obey is not a verse that says, parents, make your children obey you. It's a verse that says, children, get this truth and obey your parents. So as parents, we need to be careful that we do disciple them to obey uh, the best the way that we possibly can, but obviously introducing Jesus and all the rest of it. But it's their responsibility to obey as we try our best to help them to obey. So it's just an interesting inflection, that one. But it's in God's natural order that he wants that to be the case. Naturally in play in the world in which we live. Second, there's a spiritual element to it as well. A spiritual element to it as well. Why? Because Paul emphasizes this teaching by introducing the fifth commandment, which is honor your father and mother so that it may go well with you in the land, etc., etc. So he's emphasizing that this is spiritually good by bringing in one of the Ten Commandments. And he says it's the first, uh, it says, he, he says it's the first commandment with a promise, which we'll come to in a minute. But the key thing here is that obedience of children does honour God. So at, at the right age, when the children do need to be in a kind of obedient world, and as parents we're trying to teach them to be obedient, that is an honouring thing. I know it changes, and we'll come on to that, it changes as you grow up, but there is definitely a link between obedience and honour, and I think Paul introduces this verse to emphasise that God likes that. He wants that to be the case. So that's the spiritual element, so one of the Ten Commandments. And then thirdly, uh, what is responsibly right. What does this mean? This basically means that whether you're a young child, me at 11, or whether you're any of us in this room today who's a follower of Jesus, slightly older, still a child with a parent, how you are in your relationship with God in terms of how you obey your parents if you're young or honour them if you're old is a responsible way of presenting Jesus to them, particularly if they're themselves not followers of Jesus. So there's a sense of our responsibility to honour Jesus and how we are in our lives in our family context cannot be underplayed at all. And let us not forget that Jesus himself obeyed and honoured his father. What did he do in the Garden of Gethsemane when he faced the horror of the cross? He got on his knees and he says, not my will, but yours be done. That is him 
honouring his father, that's in obeying his father. Now, I know there was partnership in terms of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit going to the cross. There's never a sense of Jesus saying, I don't want to do this. He was totally on the same page. But it kind of in his humanness, if you will, he was wrestling with what he knew was going to happen and the weight of it all. And he basically said, Look, I'm going to lay down my life for you, God. I'm going to follow through on the plan, not my will, but yours. So there's a responsibility that he had to honour his father, and we too have a responsibility to honour God by showing Jesus to our mums and dads if they're still around. So that's just the third thing. So you've got a natural rightness, you've got a spiritual rightness, and you've got a responsible rightness in terms of obedience and honouring. The next thing that is really important to ask is, are there any lines to be drawn about how far we go in terms of obedience specifically and honour secondary? If you're a young child or a child that's at a point where you're thinking, well, my parents are asking me to do some things that I'm not sure I should be doing, do you just have to obey because this verse says obey, or can you muddy the water a little bit and find some way out of not obeying your parents? Well, I want to say in a, in a, in a helpful way that the answer to that question is yes, you can find a way out if you want to. And you might think, oh, that's what you're saying by saying that. You can find a way out of obedience, but only in the Lord. Because this bit in the Lord is massive. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And this in the Lord phrase comes on the back of Paul having keep, keeping on introducing this con- concept through all the other re- different relational types that we've already looked at in Oasis. So when he asks wives to submit to their husbands as to the Lord, he's saying, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And when he's asking uh, husbands to love their wives, he likens that to Christ loving the church. There's a link. And when he says to slaves to obey their masters with respect and fear out of sincerity of heart, he says, just as you would obey Jesus, just as you would obey Christ. And when he says to the masters, treat your slaves in the same way, which is Ephesians 6 verse 9, he reminds them that God has no favoritism. God and Jesus is always in the mix. We do it in Christ, in Jesus. We don't do it outside of Christ or outside of Jesus. He has to be the centre of how we are with each other in all our different relations. And that's why when it, it comes to all of us, the persuasion is to submit to one another out of what? Reverence for Christ. So Jesus being the centre of everything, Jesus being uh, the number one priority in our life causes us to make decisions about what we do, when we do it, how we do it, how we are with our parents, how we are with our children. We can't underplay that. Now, these words to honour and obey are therefore really strong, powerful words of good teaching that come from the Bible. But on their own, they're just good words. They're good commands. It's good teaching. And you may not be a follower of Jesus here in this room today, and you may be respectfully trying to do your best to honour your parents and to bring your, te- your children up well and to serve them well and to give them the best possible experience of life that you can. And all that's good and can't be underplayed. But the big difference for a follower of Jesus is that if you're in Jesus, it does look completely different because you can't do any of all that other stuff on your own. You cannot actually bring up a perfect family on your own because it's impossible. You'll fall down. I know I will fall down trying to do the same thing. So being in Jesus, being in the Lord, is the be-all and end-all. And therefore, just in terms of practical uh, example, if you were uh, a child uh, or a a student or a teenager or somebody, and your parents were saying to you, you you just stop going to church. You just stop going to church. You stop reading your Bible. You stop going to worship. You stop meeting up with those guys to pray. If your parents said that to you, they're not believers, you are a believer, I would say don't obey them. Why? Why? Because Jesus isn't the centre of that. They're not in Jesus and you are. 
They're all good things to do in Jesus. So you don't have to obey them. If they said, look, why don't you, why don't you look at that dodgy stuff on the internet? Or why don't you look at that program that you, that you know is going to damage you if you look at it? Look, we're going to go out and get blind drunk tonight. Why don't you come with us? You don't have to obey your parents. Why? Because they're not in Jesus and you are and you don't want that kind of behavior. If you had, just to be slightly controversial, uh, some parents who were, you wanted to get baptized, for example. So you become a Christian and it says in the Bible, get baptized. And uh, your parents, who aren't believers, uh, followers of Jesus, don't want you to get baptized. I'd say discuss at that point. I'd say discuss because that could be one that's, that, that you can wait on. You don't have to get baptized straight away. I mean, I believe that you should, but so what? What do I believe? I think it's more if you're honoring your parents by, by waiting for the right moment where they're more comfortable with it, that might be right in your context. So it's just another example of the black and white of obedience. Sometimes there's black and white, sometimes there's discussion. And you have to kind of work that out in your own world. But the in Jesus bit is massive. So that's the, uh, the right bit. Natural, spiritual, uh, with responsibility, and it's all got to be in Jesus. That's really important. Let's move on to the, the next bit, which is the commandment. Uh, verse 2, is it? Yeah, verse 2. Which commandment are we talking about here? It's the one that Paul quotes. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and you may enjoy long life on earth. This is one of God's top five Ten Commandments. It's in the top five. It's not number one, but it is in the top five. It comes ahead of murder. It comes ahead of adultery. It comes ahead of stealing. It comes ahead of lying. Now, I'm not saying, therefore, that you can go out there and murder, or steal, or lie, or whatever, but this is really important to God, honouring your father and mother. When children are young... Obedience is a mark of honouring father and mother. As you get older, it changes more to discussion about how you honour your father and mother. But let us not play down the fact that honouring our father and mother is absolutely massive in God's eyes. There's a blessing that's associated with it. I know this verse says that uh, everything will go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. That doesn't mean that if you honour your father and mother, you will necessarily live a long life. It just means that there is definitely going to be peace and rest with you in your life, which might be long. So don't think, oh, if I honour my father and mother, that's a, that's a ticket for me to, have, to be an old person. It doesn't work like that, because God is in charge of our life. He determines when we rise and when we fall, that kind of stuff. But there is definite blessing that God is giving through an honouring of father and mother. The question then, of course, is, well, how, how do we do it? How do we honour our father and mother. Give me some ideas if you don't have any of yourselves already to honour father and mother. I've got ten ideas here that you can take away, think about, pray about, challenge yourself on. I know that I do as I read them. I'm going to give you these ten things. And as I do, I, I, I apologise for doing this, but my mum and dad listen to me preaching online. And so I'm about to give you ten things that they could say, Gus, no, Gus, no, Gus, no, Gus, no, Gus, no. <laughs> mum and dad, I'm sorry if I let you down. I'll try my best. Thank you for listening. Anyway, <laughs> you have the same conversation with your mums and dads if they're still around. Here's the first one then. Speak highly of them. Speak highly of your parents. Don't diss them, either secretly on your own, with your children, or with anybody else. Speak highly of your mother and father. Particularly speak highly of your mother and father if you're in a relationship, married or just with partners or whatever. Speak highly of your, the in-laws, if you were. Because obviously mother-in-laws often get a bad name, don't they? And it becomes a bit of a joke to have a go at them. Don't. Speak highly of them. That's honouring fathers and mothers. Second one is listen to them and be humble to learn from them. 
Our parents have lived longer than us. They have got experience. They have got wisdom. They've seen things come and go. So listen to what they have to say and be humble to learn. Because sometimes we think we've got it all. I know I do at 51 years old. I think, oh, I don't need to listen to my mum and dad anymore because I've got my own view on things and I think I'm probably right on most of them. That's not very humble, is it? Why don't I listen and look for the truth that they have to share in certain different environments that we talk about? Third, ask questions of them. So don't wait for them to tell you something about something. Why don't you ask them? So, look, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? Whatever age you're at, that just affirms their view and gives them worth. Number four, affirm their opinion. You might not agree with your parents' opinion on something, and I know I don't. Sorry, Dad. He knows what I'm talking about. But there are something, there is a way of doing it that affirms them. So you can get interested in that, why they hold their opinion. And obviously with our friends, I mean, in our, in our friends in normal life, if you've got a different view on something, you don't end up punch, sort of punching them with your view and getting really nasty. You kind of talk around it, don't you? You're nice, you stay friendly, you stand at peace with each other. So do that with your parents as well. Affirm their opinion. Here's another one. Be kind in correction, not belittling. So if your parents do make a mistake, be gentle with them in bringing them round. Don't treat them as though they themselves are kids, your kids now, if you like. Treat them as adult people that have lived, do have experience, are wise. Number six, almost my favourite, I think, is be forgiving and forgive. Be forgiving and forgive. What does be forgiving mean? Be forgiving means have a disposition which is always kind towards your parents. Because we can so often think, oh do they know what they're doing anymore? You know, what on earth they doing? You have this kind of negativism that comes through. But actually, if you, ha- if you have a view which is all right, they might be getting older, they might not be changing in their ways, they might have some strong views on things which I don't agree with, but I'm going to be forgiving in my disposition towards them. So I've got a forgiving disposition. And then if they do make a mistake, forgive. The two are slightly different. Forgiving disposition is ongoing. I'm going to be kind and gentle and alongside. But forgive means that when things do go wrong, please do forgive them. Don't hold a grudge. And some of the people that we can most hold a grudge towards can be our parents. And that can really damage family life. So forgiving and forgive. Uh, Number seven, simple one, give them time. Give them time. Give your parents time with you if you can. Normal time, special time. Parents love quality time with their children and grandchildren and so on and so forth. Don't underplay that. It's a big one. Uh, Number whatever it is, eight, thank them for their advice, their support, their interest, their help. Thank them. Don't forget to thank your parents if they're helping you with whatever's going on in life. It's a small thing, but it's a nice thing. Number nine, pray for them. How many of us pray for our parents? How many of us pray? How many of us pray for our parents? And number 10, I'll say that again. How many of us pray? (laughs) Anyway, uh, and number 10, a bit of a punchy one, this. Uh, Can you look after parents? Can we look after parents when they get old and they need looking after? It's not somebody else's job. It's our job. That's how we honour them. We look after them. We care for them. They've cared for us, brought us up to the wonderful people that we are today. Thank you, mum and dad. And now we look after them as they get older. So those little ten tips for honouring our parents. So that's the first uh, three verses. Let's move on to the final verse, verse 4. And this is under the, the subject of training. It says this, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Uh, Janie and I, this is the illustration bit. Some more illustration from here on in. 
So uh, Janie and myself and my uh, son Sol, who is uh, 19, and my daughter Izzy, 17, went out for a meal on Tuesday evening. We decided that we were going to celebrate the fact that some of you will know that Janie's finished her course of chemo. Uh, so uh, she had a pick line taken out that day, and we thought, let's just get out and put a sort of stake in the ground to mark the end of a part of the journey that we're on, although we understand with cancer, as many of you do, that you never quite know when you're through it. So, But anyway, we decided we were going to out for a meal, uh, so we went to this kind of new place on the, on the canal up in, um, near the mailbox, uh, settled down for our meal together, and we were having a really nice time just chatting about stuff. And I thought I'd take the, uh, the opportunity, because I had Sol and Izzy there, to ask them in what ways, over the years, I had exasperated them. <laughs> uh, Sol's answer was this. Actually, I've got no complaints, mate. To which I said, sorry, Sol, can you say that again? <laughs> to which he said, yeah, I've got no complaints, this year anyway. <laughs> and what you've got to be aware of is Sol's been living away from home this last year. So I thought, right. Anyway, so he then gave me a few. I'm not going to tell you what they are. I moved on to Izzy. Izzy, how have I exasperated you over the years? And Izzy, to her credit, she had to think for a few moments. Now, I took that as great encouragement because she didn't have a whole load of things that were there. Bang, 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 bang. She then did come up with a few things. I know you want to know what they are, but I'm not actually going to share them. I'm just going to... The reason I'm telling you the story is because I wanted to have a dialogue with my now growing up children about how I am and how I exasperate them. And I thought it'd just be good to hear what they had to say. I did couch it on saying, look, I am going to preach on it Sunday, so what do you think? But it was useful. And it did, uh, you know, did draw us into con some conversation about why we do some things and whether... Izzy's view on something was right or whether our view on something was right and so on and so forth. But it's good to do that kind of thing. Ask yourselves the questions of your parents today. Ask your children the question, how do you exasperate them? <clears throat> this verse is way more pithy in the ESV version than it is in the NIV version, although I think it's pretty good in the NIV. In the ESV translation, it says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And uh, commentators do say that whilst this verse is addressed specifically to fathers, we can, however, include mothers in the mix, so you don't get away with it if you are a mother, by not including yourself in this encouragement not to provoke your children to anger. And the reason for that is because Paul has already talked about uh, the honouring your father and mother command, and because he's addressed fathers and mothers in that context, they're, they're saying, therefore, this is clearly for mothers and fathers as well, even though he's used the word fathers. Controversially, why don't we just start with the word fathers, however? So I'm now speaking to fathers. Fathers in the house, if you're a dad here today and you're a follower of Jesus, the question for you and the question for me is, how might we provoke our children to anger? And as I've, uh, as I've thought about this and read around it and listened to some material online, two things come into play, both of which I think are massive and really challenged. I've been massively challenged by this. The first is hypocrisy, and the second is legalism. Hypocrisy and legalism. What is hypocrisy? If you are a follower of Jesus, a, a dad at home who follows Jesus, and you're a dad in church life who follows Jesus, do the two people match up? Do what people see of you, do what your children see of you in church life, in small group life, in church ministry life, in whatever life it is, does it match what you're like at home? Because if it doesn't, 
there's a very strong chance that you provoke your children to anger. Anger about your integrity and anger towards Jesus because really it's just a sham what you're living. You say you do one thing and look like one thing at church and you do one thing and look like, like, like one thing at home. I was provoked by that. Now, I, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not, a, I'm not a bad guy, or at least I don't think I am. But I was provoked about that to the extent that I thought, all right, I'm going to ask Sol and Izzy. What they, what they see of me. What am I like in church life in terms of my faith? And what am I like at home in terms of my faith? I asked them the question. And I was going to be getting ready for the answer. And you're ready for the answer, aren't you? You think, oh, are you going to tell us? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. Because I think it's, it's helpful and it's challenging. Some of them are light. Some of them are hard. The first thing uh, they said was that I'm more friendly at church than I am at home. <laughs> <laughs> that's terrific, isn't it? Uh, like, that's the reason I told you the friendliness story at the beginning, actually. So I am quite friendly most of the time. Janie's way more friendly than me. I do have a scary face, but apparently I'm more friendly at church than I am at home. So I, I, in a way, that's kind of a good thing, because I want everybody to know that they feel loved and cared for and all the rest of it. But I do want to be friendly at home, and I do want to be nice at home. So I'm kind of going to work on that one a little bit more. Second one, I am more... I think this is all right. I'm more chilled at home than I am at church. Now, I didn't kind of know what that really meant, but there's a sense where I kind of get less bothered about things at home life than I do in church life. So that could be... I don't really know what I think about that. I have to unpack that a little bit more. The one that challenged me the most is this last one, which is that I'm quieter about my faith at home than I am at church. And that one got me. Because I don't want... Janie or my children to think that I'm not passionate about Jesus and if I'm being quiet about my faith at home that is probably what they might think and that might provoke Solonizzi in my context to anger and integrity questions and that kind of thing. Now what you've got to be aware of is however it's almost a caveat is that I'm, I'm actually quite a quiet guy actually I know I'm on the front I don't look like I am but I'm actually quite a quiet man and I like my own space and my relationship with God has always been something that's quite a personal thing. One guy that was discipling me years and years ago, when I asked him, I said, what's the one thing that you can see in me that kind of defines who I am? He says, you're quite a private man, and therefore you don't live your life with Jesus on your sleeve. So I don't go around the house saying, praise Jesus for that, and thank you God for that. And I was out today, and the Tesco guy shook my hand, and I said, hallelujah, Jesus, you're such a good God. And shouldn't we all be doing that? I don't do that kind of thing. Because the more in the quiet of my heart, I'd be thinking, God, I'm really pleased that I had a connection with that guy. Or I go up to my room and pray about I don't naturally share overtly in an enthusiastic way my faith. Although give me an opportunity to do so, and I absolutely will. Don't get me wrong. So I am quite a quiet man. But nevertheless, I do want my family, my children and Janie, to know that I'm passionate about Jesus. So I share that with you because, again, I want you to know something about me. But more importantly, I want to encourage you. If you've got children, ask them the question. If you haven't got children, the simple question is, what do you like in church context versus what you like in home context? And actually, behind closed doors, the father who's unseen will see you and knows what's going on. So let's not pretend, let's be honest. That's the whole point of being a community. So hypocrisy was a bit, a bit of a challenge to me on that basis. Second one, what might provoke our children to anger is legalism. What do I mean by that? In a Christian home, and this is probably true of many of us, we want to we do our best to introduce a Christian framework, right, framework of life. And a lot of the time, therefore, we were saying, look, don't do that, don't do this, don't do the other, don't go out with them, don't watch this, don't eat that, whatever. There's a lot of don'ts in the mix. 
There's a lot of restriction in the mix. There's a lot of worry that we have that, we, that our children are going to go down a wrong route and it all end up pear-shaped. That's true, isn't it? So there's a lot of don'ts in the mix. And there's a danger that our children will be so constricted and restricted that all they want to do is push against it. And in essence, in the end, push against us and push against our faith and push against Jesus. And we so don't want that to be the case. My heart is that they follow you, they see Jesus in me and they see he's wonderful and want to follow him. So let's be careful about legalism. The way that this is brought out in the scriptures and illustrations is the Adam and Eve story. Simple story. God's wonderful creation. There's one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God says, look, don't eat that. One restriction. Don't eat that tree. But let us not forget there's an absolute wadload of absolute quality stuff other than that one tree that Adam and Eve can enjoy. In God. Yes, there's some, there's some don't do that. There's a wad load of, yeah, do this and do this and do this and enjoy it as you do. Now, it makes the tragedy of Adam and Eve's fall even worse when you look at it like that. You think, why on earth did you fall for that and not just enjoy everything else? But in our context, if we've got children at home that we're trying to disciple, let's be really careful about giving them lots of positive alternatives to everything all the time. They'd be very active about providing good and fun and life and enjoyment and Jesus in that, rather than just a whole lot of don't do that, 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 don't do that. Because when it comes to their own decision-making, all they'll do is just fly against it. Whereas if they've experienced the goodness and the love of God and the fun that comes with it, there's a tiny chance they may carry on with it as well. So that's the legalism one. Whew, exciting stuff. What about, finally, the instruction about training and instruction uh, in instruction of the Lord? Training in instruction of the Lord, that, the final part of that verse. Two further illustrations. I listened to a talk by Joel Voger, who leads a church in Brighton. Quality talk on this stuff. You can go online and listen to it as well. It's probably way better than what I'm saying today, if I'm honest. But you can't just nick somebody's sermon and, and reproduce it. Or perhaps you can, I don't know. Uh, but he, he, um, he brought an illustration... Uh, that I, I found, again, intensely powerful. And he said he was at um, a conference in London, I can't remember what it was, let's just say a few years ago, and he was uh, listening to a guy who was a successful businessman, really successful businessman, who was in one of the two towers on the actual day that the planes were driven into them. And he was one of the very, very few people that managed to escape the carnage of that attack. And of course, everybody you know, wanted to know exactly what he felt, what he went through, how he got out and all the rest of it. Uh, and there was a question and answer session at the end of his uh, time at that conference where he was asked you know, what things were fizzing through his mind as he diced with death and contemplated, contemplated his end. What things were fizzing through his mind? And his answer to that question was this. He said, I found myself realising that I hadn't taught my children enough of the word of God yet so that if they were ever to hit their own 9-11, whatever that would be, they'd be ready. And I thought, ugh, quiet man at home, sharing Jesus. Do I want to be a little bit more proactive? Don't get me wrong, I think I've done an all right job in trying to bring my children to know something of Jesus. But this guy had laid down the I wish I'd spent more time with my children line to I wish I'd given them more of Jesus. If you're a parent here today, want to be a parent, have been a parent, want to be again, let's be presenting Jesus to our children. Let's prepare them for their own 9-11, because it, it could come. That could happen. I thought it was really powerful. I don't think you need to say any more than that. And then Joel uh, shared another illustration, because he, he said he was at a wedding. 
And he met a guy who had three sons. He said, well, they were these model sons, these quality sons. They were fun, they were confident, they were godly, they were engaging. Uh, they were the sorts of sons that Joel said he wanted to have. And so he asked the guy, said, is there a secret to how you've brought your children up? And the guy said, yes, there is a secret. And Joel said, well, t- will you tell me the secret? And, uh, and this, this bloke said, I will tell you the secret. All you need to do is t- turn to Psalm 127, verses 3 and 4. So Joel turns to Psalm 127, verse 3 and 4, and so do we today. And here's the verse. It says, children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. And this guy realized that if children to him were like arrows in his quiver, it was his job as warrior dad to take the arrows out, to sharpen them, to hone them, to prepare them, and to shoot them. He had a responsibility on a team with his children to explore adventures in God. So he made it his intention, and he didn't go into detail, but he made his intention with his children, with his sons, to do team exploits of faith together, with dad kind of taking the charge to say, come on guys, let's do this together. Now in family life often... In, in church shows, normal circles, our children become the centre of everything. What they want, when they want it, how they want it, in order that we bless them. So it all becomes a bit child-centric, if you like. And sometimes church and God can become secondary to fam- family and home. Sometimes there's that kind of linear thing, and not everybody agrees with it, but there's this linear thing of you know, God, husband or wife, children, church. And people do it like that. God, husband and wife, children, church. You know? and, so, and so church comes right down at the bottom. Uh, and so if you're wondering about whether to get involved with anything that the church is doing, sometimes, well, if, the, if there are family pressures in the way, family wins, because it's linear. But this guy's basically saying, look, it's like an adventure. And if something that the church is doing means that you can bring your family on that adventure with you and them together, exploring something that God's going to do, that might be all right. And I, again, was challenged by that. Through our life as uh, mum and dad, we saw this, we've tried to bring our children on the journey as much as possible. There's a danger that you overdo it, particularly in church leadership, so they, again, they resist. The, 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 if you like, church becomes your priority, not them, so you've got to be careful about that. But get your children on adventures in faith. And if you're a dad here and you're not doing it, I want to provoke you and say, why don't you do it? Why don't I do it? So that's the teaching. One, two final things to say, and they are brief. And this is this. The first thing, it came out in a worship, and so pleased it did. When I look at this stuff, as I hope you can see it's come through, I start challenging myself and start thinking, oh my goodness, what have I done? Have I been any good at all as a dad? You know, here I am, church leader, friendly on a Sunday, not friendly at home. Passionate about Jesus on a Sunday, not passionate at home. <laughs> you know, got children that, are, that you know, are still working out their journey. With G- how good have I been? And there's a danger for me, because I'm built like this, that I'll start imploding. I'll say, I'm no good. I, I can't do it. I've blown it, God. I, I, I don't know what I'm doing. And, and that's my tendency when I get a challenge from God. Romans 8 verse 1 says, look, there's no condemnation for those who live in union with Christ Jesus. That came out in our worship. So pleased it did. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Don't receive condemnation. Receive challenge and conviction but don't receive condemnation. So that's the first thing to say. And the second thing to say is that children and their walk with God and their ability to follow Jesus is all God's work, actually. God can do it, irrespective of any mum or dad. He can. Obviously, if you are a mum and follow Jesus, you have a responsibility, but it's God's work. 
And so if you've got children who are passionate for Jesus or slowing down with Jesus or rejecting Jesus, cut yourself some, some slack and do one thing, and that is simply this, pray for them. I've talked about praying for mums and dads. Let's do that. Now let's pray for our children. Because the one thing that God can do that we can't do is change a heart. We cannot change a heart. I pray often when I'm praying about unsafe people. God changes the heart, we don't. God opens the eyes, we don't. God can do it. So if you do nothing else as a result of this message, and if you haven't got children, pray for the children in the church or other children that you know or children in your family, whatever it is. Pray for our children because God is the one who does the work. That is the end of the message. Hopefully you found that helpful. No, don't. <laughs> I, I found I didn't have a landing conclusion. Why don't we just stand for a minute and I'll pray. Father, we come to you as your children this morning and wallow in the love that you've again presented to us this morning. Thank you that when we come to you, there's grace that's sufficient, there's mercy, there's rest and peace, there's nothing but acceptance and care. Thank you that we run into the face of love. And that's a good thing, Lord God. We're so thankful for it. Lord, we, uh, as children of yours, but as children in the natural, want to honor our parents. We want to do the things that I've mentioned this morning. We want to bring them to you if they don't know you. We want to do our best to present Jesus to them, whether they know you or not. So I pray blessing on all our parents this morning, Lord God, that they would know something more of you today in the supernatural, that you do something that blesses them today, Lord. And help us, Lord, help us uh, if we're parents as we're discipling our children, uh, for those of us that are around to help parents, Lord God, uh, help our children as they catch something of you. We just want a great big family of God to know you and love you more. And we ask, Father, that if nothing else, the prayers from our heart would cause you to be able to do something in all of our hearts and our children's hearts, that they would see you, know you, and love you more. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.